On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the good news. Please be seated. Many of us have probably heard this story, the story of the 10 lepers, a few times, although it's perfectly fine if this is the first time you're hearing it. At first glance, it's a lesson in Jesus' healing work. It's a lesson in the gratitude of the Samaritan leper and how that gratitude brought him into deeper relationship and understanding of God in his life. And those are two really important points, to be clear. But I and many others have preached on them before. So this morning, I actually want to spend some time learning about the lives and experiences of these 10 lepers. History makes some assumptions about them. That all 10 are men, for starters. The reading doesn't actually say that anywhere, uh, but they're usually all referred to as men. We know that the one who returns is referred to as he, but no sense of the other's genders. We also know that he's a Samaritan, intentionally noted by the author because Samaritans weren't appreciated by the first readers of the story. But we actually don't know the ethnicity of the others. So here's what we do know. Their whole identity was their illness. The reading refers to them as lepers, not people with leprosy, lepers. This is the modern-day equivalent to calling people cancers or MSs or AIDS rather than people who are living with cancer or MS or AIDS. In other words, you don't have an illness, you are your illness. People with leprosy were not part of the community. Because of their uncleanness and because people feared them, they were separated from families that they had or hoped to have, and they were forced to go and live in camps outside of towns and villages. Now, when you think of these camps, think less of a safe shelter or hospital, think more of a migrant or even an internment camp. They were people uninvited, unwelcomed literally kept at arm's length, because if somebody came near to them, they had to move away and call out, unclean, to alert people of their unsafe status. And because of this, people with leprosy weren't able to work, so they lived far below the poverty level. They scavenged for food to survive. They were forbidden to take part in worship, so any faith rituals that mattered to them had to be recreated on their own. No doubt all of this contributed to their faith and their identity as people of God. Now regarding that faith, people tend to assume that these 10 were non-Jews, those outside the faith, but the story actually does give us clues to the contrary. 
Prior to their healing, Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priests. Now that's just not some random thing that Jesus decided. There's a reason. The Old Testament says that if a person with leprosy was healed, they had to go and show themselves to the priests. And if the priests saw and decided, in fact, that they were telling the truth, uh, that they were free of illness, then the priest would give them a certificate of healing. And that was their ticket to reintegrate back into society. And nobody before or during Jesus' lifetime would have gone and shown themselves to the priests in that way if they didn't participate in the Israelite faith that set up those priests and that temple and those laws about leprosy. These 10 were Jews, which says even more about their geographical sense of self. As we know from the Old Testament, the Jewish people had been exiled by Assyrians and or Babylonians. They had been drug away from their homeland and after a lot of traumatic time in between, some were allowed to re-enter, but many were intentionally scattered all over the land so that the, the current empire of the time could maintain dominance, right? They can't come together and rebel if they can't find each other. This is known as the diaspora. So not only were these 10 Jews likely not in their original homeland to begin with when they got leprosy, they were then removed again from their diaspora land to live in these camps on the margins, a diaspora within a diaspora, a people without a homeland and a people without the community that you stick with when you're away from your homeland, trying to maintain your identity and your cultural integrity. So in every way, these 10 people who had leprosy were existing in a borderland, an unsettled space, a threshold between familiar and unfamiliar, between dangerous and safe. The reading even describes it as Jesus going through the region between. It says that he went through the region between Samaria and Galilee, but if you look at a map, those are next to each other, so there's not actually a region in between. What they're saying is this story takes place on a border in every sense of the word. The borderlands, we learn from writer Gloria Anzaldúa, are a psychic, social, and cultural terrain that we inhabit and that inhabits all of us. She says, a vague and undetermined place created by the emotional residue of an unnatural boundary. The prohibited and forbidden are its inhabitants. This is where Jesus shows up, on purpose. There are quicker ways to get to Jerusalem. He chose to enter these borderlands, and his hopeful presence was noticed by 10 people who would have had no way of getting to him otherwise had he not positioned himself very purposefully just outside of their camp. So these 10 beloved children of God called out, Jesus, Master, have compassion on us. They seemed to know deep in their core that Jesus was somebody special, somebody different. How they had heard of him or what he was capable of, I'm not really sure, but they knew in their being that Jesus was somebody who could really see them for who they were and show them authentic, deep care. 
which is maybe why they called him master, because that's actually a title reserved for the disciples speaking to Jesus. In scripture, they're the only ones who do that. So in other words, these 10 cherished humans called out to Jesus from a stance of discipleship, from a position of one who wants to sit at Jesus' feet to learn and to follow him in the way. Unlike many of his right-hand disciples, these 10 seemed very clear about who Jesus was and who they were in relation to him. Their faith is astounding and bold. These 10 had found a way to build community amongst themselves and to nurture a deep and abiding faith when they were not afforded opportunities for either one of those things. I wish that we knew their names. But like so many who exist on the margins, they aren't known as individuals. They're profiles. They're generalized, faceless groups. They're known by the thing that makes them less than in the world. We have much to learn from those who live in borderlands, the places of not belonging, the places of in-betweenness, the places that are not seen or are intentionally ignored. We can learn from their sure faith that Jesus' attention and love can bring wholeness. We can learn from their courageous willingness to name their need before God We can learn from the way they deeply hope in and expect liberation and justice. Their faith, their courage, their hope led them to an experience with Jesus that transformed them in every way. Yes, their bodies were healed, which in and of itself was amazing. No more sores, no more neuropathy, no more pain. But even more than that, they could return to family and to community, to meaningful work, to full bellies, to real homes, to identities other than leper. They could return to real and abundant life because Jesus brings the fullness of life and wellness and belonging to borderlands. Jesus modeled for early readers and for all disciples, as theologian Francisco Garcia says, a way of ministry that continuously shifts focus away from the people and places that are typically held as sacred and worthy and reframes the margins as places where God shows up in healing and liberative power. Jesus converts the borderlands from a forbidden wasteland to a sacred place, perhaps even a thin place where the veil between the material and spiritual worlds is lifted and an awareness of their interconnection is more deeply known and felt. This too is our calling. If we are to name Jesus as master and be disciples of the way. The church's calling has always been to participate in Jesus' work of justice and liberation for those in the in-between places. Now, to be very clear, the church is the hands and the feet of Jesus, but she is not herself Jesus. The people on the borderlands don't need church to be their savior. They already have one in whom many have a deep and abiding trust. The church's job is to listen for who is calling out from the borderlands of our time, to look for who is begging to be seen, begging for somebody to have compassion on them, and then to go there with all the available resources to do the work 
to ensure their freedom, their place in community, opportunity for meaningful work, a place to rest their head, dignity as beloved children of God. It is the church's job to accompany, listen to their stories, learn their names, honor their faith, even if it looks different or unfamiliar. These borderlands exist everywhere, all around us, in our own communities, perhaps even in our own homes. And on those borderlands, the church will go and will be shocked to meet herself there, in the faces of these faithful siblings, and be blessed by their expression of faith. The church will be blessed there in partnership with brave, bold, hopeful people who have beautiful experiences to share and important lessons to teach. The church will be blessed there in the thin places to more clearly experience the fullness of God's presence and grace. The church will be blessed there to have taken one step more deeply into the kingdom of heaven where all of us together find this real and abundant life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, you are a God of the borderlands. Help us to see the people and places that we don't always see or that are intentionally kept from us. Help us to go and be church together there. Help us to learn. Help us to find the borderlands in our own hearts and to know that you show up there always with mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.